Father, we, we come before you. God, as we are now two days away from celebrating Christmas, God, I pray that the incarnation would be heavy on our minds and our hearts. God, that we would not take for granted what it means that you became flesh and dwelt among us. God, that there is no other story in the world that compares to this one. There's no other story in the world that says a perfect and holy God would subject himself to his creation. Who would live in poverty and love those who hated him and would be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, in order to raise from the dead so that he could bring sons and daughters with him home. There's nothing like it, Father. I pray we would not take it for granted and that we would marvel in awe at your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we officially wrap up our entire fall series. It's all been building kind of to this point. And again, the whole idea was just wanting to encourage you to have a maybe a renewed hunger um, for the Old Testament and to understand how this is one story and how that entire story that's being told um, is all hinging around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all the stories are pointing to him or pointing back to him or pointing forward to when he will return. And, and we see, and as we've seen over the last um, few months, how Jesus is present throughout the entire Old Testament. Like when you understand that when you see that and when you read through the Old Testament in light of um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when you um, read it in light of the New Testament, you end up, you see Jesus everywhere. And we know that he is, he's physically present and he's, um, and he's alluded to and he's talked about and there are types of him in the Old Testament. He is pointed to throughout as the centerpiece of this great story. And our, our aim has been to show you that, to show you that he is everywhere. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says, that every story whispers his name. Every story in the entire Bible whispers the name of Jesus. And why is this such a big deal? Well, to, to not see the whole story, to not have that ingrained in you is to lead yourself off the path. Like if, if you're going to read the Bible, the Old Testament or the New Testament, as just a, a collection of religious writings that are meant to, um, to give us encouragement and to give us direction, then you miss the big point. Knowing this story, this narrative that weaves its way throughout the entire Bible, that holds the entire Bible together, understanding that, becoming fluent in it, is the most important thing that you can do in your spiritual walk. It will help you to understand and know God's will. It will answer hard questions. It will teach you how we are to pray. It will teach you that we should pray. It will help you understand the Bible and, and understand who God is because it is the story. From the beginning to the end, God has told this story 
with Jesus as the centerpiece. The story that we call the gospel. And today I want to kind of tie up as a bow the culmination of all the things that we have looked at in the Old Testament. This gospel story and how the entire Bible is wrapped around and and threaded through with this idea of creation and rebellion, redemption, renewal, and glory. Because we know as we started this series that God created the world and it was good. And we talked about what it looked like to be created by God. And through the whole creation account, how we would hear God saying, God said and it was. God said and it was. And it was good. And we talked about what what made it good. That it it wasn't good just because it wasn't good like, you know, you or I could uh, create something or build something. Like, oh, that's a, like if I built a chair and you looked at the chair and you said, oh, that's a good chair. And we would define that chair based on all of its qualities. But that's not what defines good for us. It's, It's good is, it was good because it was in harmony with God. Because God is good. So God, by definition, is good. And anything that God makes, then, is good. Anything that reflects his image and reflects the intended purpose is good. So what we understand is that creation is not good apart from God. We we can't be separated from God and, and be fully good. Good is defined by its relationship to him. And in that creation which is pointing to the new creation and pointing to the new heavens and the new earth. We see what it looks like for for creation to be in harmony with God. And we know that Jesus was there. He's physically there. He's present there. Not just thought of there, but he was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. Or as Colossians says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together in Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and for him. It is all about him, even creation. The creation story points to the thing, points to how things were made to be. God's creation in harmony with him. And it's already foreshadowing that in Christ all of these things are going to be held together. Because we know the creation has to be held together because creation is broken. And there is rebellion. The rebellion is defined by us knocking everything out of harmony with God. Our hearts are out of harmony. Our lives are out of harmony. Nature is out of harmony. Like it can't, you can see it everywhere you look, right? Everywhere we look, we see how we are out of sync with God. Our own hearts are out of sync with God as we battle the desires that we know are not from him. When we, when we are, when we are um, lured away by, by lies of the enemy, we see in our, in our relationships 
and in our lives as things happen to our bodies that are out of our control or things happen to us that are out of our control. We see it in the world around us. We see it in nature, that nature is fractured and out of sync with, and out of harmony with God as we see a tsunami that, that kills over 200 Indonesians. That it's just, it's out of sync. It's broken. It's fractured. And we can see it everywhere. And it's fractured because of sin, which came through Adam and is in all of us, in every part of us. And the penalty for that is separation from God. And we talked about the flood being the picture of God's righteous judgment on the rebels who, who fractured all of creation who because of their insistence on being gods, ushered in all sin and pain and misery. Look, why is this so important? Because it answers so many of the hard questions. If you've ever looked at the Old Testament and read some of it and said, man, this seems harsh. Well, it is telling a story. It is a part of the big narrative. It is saying this is the righteous judgment of God. And it comes through Adam why is that important? Because none of us can claim innocence. It comes through us. We can't, blame, we can't blame the earthquake that caused the tsunami or the volcano that caused it. We can't, we can't blame the tornado for wiping out homes. We can't blame any of those things because it came through mankind. And Paul says in Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam is a type of the one who is to come. Adam, through Adam, sin spread to all mankind and ends in death. But it's pointing to the second Adam who did not rebel. And instead, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the second Adam doesn't rebel. He submits to the will of the Father, even to the point of death. And just as sin enters into the world through Adam, so are we provided a way of deliverance through the second Adam, who is Jesus. See, what, what should await those who have rebelled against a holy and just king. We have that picture of the flood of destruction, but God makes a promise and says he will not do that again, that he will provide a way. And he is constantly pointing to this as he is weaving this story together, giving us a glimpse of this is what is deserved. This is righteous judgment, but I am not going to do that. I am not going to wipe, wipe off all of mankind from the face of the earth. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to provide a way. And he points even more to this story in the story of Isaac. 
as Abraham waits and waits and waits for a son. Do you see these parallels? He waits and waits and waits for a son. And in that son, all of God's promises are fulfilled because God promised that this is what he was going to do for him. And then he's called to sacrifice him. And what's so interesting is that it seems like we know what God is doing in one sense, asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because what happens to Abraham? He knows the promise God has given him, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it, and so he takes matters into his own hands, and Ishmael is born. And so it would seem to make sense from a holy and just point of view that what would make sense is that when he finally does receive Isaac, that then he would be called to sacrifice him. He does not deserve to keep Isaac. And there are many other religious narratives in the world that would say this is the just punishment that Abraham would have to sacrifice Isaac as an example for future generations, just like with the flood. But no, God provides a way of escape. The lamb pays the price. Abraham said God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall provided. It shall be provided. And thousands of years later, just let this wash over you on the mount of of Calvary, the lamb is provided. Jesus provides a way of escape. He is the Isaac who would be sacrificed. He is the lamb of God that has been provided, who takes away the sins of the world. He fulfills his promises even when we don't. We, we, we just, we hear this stuff and we think we've got it and we get these little pieces and I'm telling you that I know that for me personally in my life, after I'd memorized all the Bible stories, after I had read through all these things and I'd looked at all of them and, and I found myself just being like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And then there are these moments where you read this stuff and you think and you put yourself in this position and you say, wow, like God has been orchestrating this from the beginning of time that every story that is told in the Old Testament is valuable for the people of Israel and it's also whispering something else greater to come. And nothing is greater in the Old Testament than the promises that God is giving to his people. This is what they've been clinging to. Will God fulfill his promises? Will he keep his promises? And Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him who is Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Our Jesus was in the beginning with God. And he has always been there as the story builds to where he 
through him, all of God's promises would be kept. Every promise God makes to his people, every promise of caring for them, of being, his, um, being their God, of them being his people, enemies not overtaking them, establishing them in the promised land, every single promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. That's why we have to be fluent in the story. That's why we have to understand that when you're reading in Numbers or Deuteronomy, you're not just reading in Numbers and Deuteronomy because you're not there. You're here. You're on this side of the resurrection looking back and seeing the glory of God as he's revealing it through all time. These promises were being made to Abraham and to his offspring, which is Christ. And the greatest promise is that for those who trust him and know him, there is no condemnation. That he pays our debt on the cross. So as we have rebelled, he has redeemed us. He's redeemed us. And he has redeemed us on the cross. I'm just struck as you're just reading through these things. Like all the things that we miss all the time. And there's a million of these. And you will discover them till the end of time. I mean, I just think about like Nehemiah. We did an entire series on Nehemiah. And then you have simple phrases like this. If you remember, Nehemiah goes and he rebuilds the wall. And while he is up rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, he has detractors. He has his enemies who are trying to distract him and, and keep him away from completing the work. And so what, is it, what do they do? Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecophirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? You should read that and you're like, oh, it's great. Nehemiah, he won't come down. And there's all kinds of stories. We preached on this. There's stories of how you keeping your eyes on focus on what's in front of you and you cannot come down from the wall. The work is too important. As they're saying to him, Nehemiah, just come down for a little bit. Just come down. We'll talk about this. We can work all this out. Just come down from there. And in Matthew, we see Jesus on the cross. And they're mocking him and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Coincidence? accident and God's watching that as these people are mocking Jesus on the cross and saying come down from the cross you think some of the angels are like oh hey hey God did you remember that's kind of like what he said in Nehemiah he's orchestrating every last detail he's that sovereign he's that good And Jesus, like Nehemiah, did not come down. 
Nehemiah staying up and finishing the work points to the greater Nehemiah who would stay on the cross and say it is finished. The work of redemption is finished on the cross. But here's the thing. Even through creation and rebellion and redemption, we need more. We need more than redemption because even redeemed people wander. Maybe you've experienced this. Right? Follower of Jesus, you love Jesus, you're redeemed, you know that you are a child of God, and yet you find yourself wandering. And we did a whole message on wandering. We need a way to not wander anymore. And God is showing us this. He's showing us that even when I come through for you, even when I rescue you, you are still going to wander. So even after their deliverance, the people of Israel wander away from God. Paul, reflecting back on it, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. If you've ever been in a situation where you're thinking, the reason why I don't trust you, God, is because you haven't fulfilled this promise or you haven't done this for me. If you just take care of this, I will follow you forever. And the clear, emphatic answer from the Bible is, no, you will not. Because you cannot in your own strength. Even Jesus being there as the rock people still wander away. The Israelites, after being delivered out of Egypt, listen, the Israelites, after being delivered out of Egypt through the water, wander into the desert where they are tempted and they fail. And Jesus, after he is baptized in water, where does he go? Into the desert where he is tempted and he does not fail. He is the obedient Israel. He is the better, greater Moses, who Moses delivered his people out of Egypt, but he could not keep them holy in the desert. The greater Moses, Jesus, leads his people out of sin and he sanctifies them and he keeps them. How? By giving them a new heart. We know, even the psalmist knew, I need a new heart. Yes, I need to be reminded of your great works, God. Yes, I need to be delivered from my sin. Yes, I need to be forgiven. But I need more than that. I need a heart that doesn't keep desiring wrong things. I need a heart that doesn't keep um, unbelief in it. I need a heart that will will believe you and trust you. I need something new. And he gives it to us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. How many times have you read that and just skimmed over it and not thinking about the fullness of what that means? That if you are in Christ, you are given a new heart. That the flesh and the lies of the enemy that are pulling you away, those are, those are shadows of an enemy. They have no authority and no power over you, and yet we live as though they do. That in Christ, God is declaring to his people, you are no longer slaves to sin. You are free. You are new. He's telling us as the Israelites, the continuation of the Israelites, you are free from your captivity, but now as you wander, you are new creations. So when the enemy tells you these things that, well, you're not, you're not good enough. Yes, you prayed the prayer, but you're still struggling with sin. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't still be struggling. You're broken. You can't please God where you are. And one of the ways we've battled, by the way, we've talked about this before, is to acknowledge he's half right. See, the best liars in the world tell half-truths. Always. The, the liars that lie about everything are pretty easily exposed. It's the liars who tell just enough truth so that they get you focused on that part so that you don't investigate too closely the part that they're lying about. Those are the dangerous ones. And that's what the enemy does. Because he tells you the truth, that without faith it's impossible to please God, and that you are not capable of that kind of faith in your own strength. That is true. But he's leaving out a very important piece. That is your old self. That is not who you are in Christ Jesus. So the response is, you're right. I'm not good enough in my own strength. You're right. that It's my weakness that causes me to sin. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, if all Jesus did was forgive you for every past sin, you would still be a slave to your sin. If all he did was clean our slate... And just wipe it clean. And so you have this, this slate that has all of these sins on it. And if all he did was, he, okay, on the cross, I paid for all these. I wiped all these clean. Now don't mess up again. Then we would be in trouble. And that's the pattern in the Old Testament. God's not doing it to be cruel. He's doing it to show them that as people fall away and they say, God, if you deliver us, if you take care of us, we promise we will never turn from you again. And he says, okay, I will deliver you. I will make you my people. I promise you that I would. Now, never disobey again. And they say, we promise we will never disobey again. And then they disobey again. Constantly. 
How many times, we talked about this, how many times have you promised God or someone else, a spouse or a parent or a friend, I will never do this again. If you will forgive me, I promise I will never do this again. How many of you have had somebody tell you that and you've been foolish enough to believe it? Whenever somebody says that to me, whenever a child or my children say, I promise I'll never do it again, my response is always, yes, you will. More likely than not, you will. But in Christ, you are given a new heart. And if you will trust and obey him, he will sanctify you and he will form you into his image. See, Jesus doesn't do that. God's plan isn't really to deliver us and then say, okay, pinky swear, you'll never do this again. That's not his plan. He gives us a new slate. He doesn't just wipe our slate clean and say, don't mark it up. He gives us a completely new slate. One that nothing can stick to. You can try and you will to mark it up as much as you can. And God says there's nothing there. Nothing sticks to it. The enemy will try to tell you it does. He'll try to tell you that he sees things on that slate He'll tell you that lie about yourself and about other people. But nothing sticks to that new slate. And if you find that things are sticking, then you have the old slate. Those who walk in disobedience do not belong to Jesus. They demonstrate that they do not have the new slate. So if your mindset is, I I prayed a prayer, I punched my ticket, I'm good now, and now I'm just living my own life, then you're missing the whole point, and I fear that you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But as we have talked about so many times, the flesh does not go quietly into the night. Those who are grieved by their sin are grieved because of the Holy Spirit. Those who feel a desperate need for forgiveness and grace are those who are indwelled by the Spirit. Listen to me. Peace does not mean, if you feel a sense of peace, that does not mean you have peace with God. Peace can be gained one of two ways. Peace can be gained through reconciliation with the offended, or peace can be gained through apathy. I've heard a lot of people declare, oh, I'm at peace with that. And what they're actually saying is, I don't care. I'm apathetic. I'm at peace with this relationship being broken. I'm at peace with it. What I'm saying is, I don't care that it's broken. I've stopped caring about that person. Therefore, I'm apathetic. That's not godly peace. Peace is the ministry of reconciliation. So if you are apathetic towards God, that is not peace with God. Peace with God is reconciliation with him through Jesus Christ. And that reconciliation, as long as we are here on earth, will mean a cycle of repentance and renewal. Paul is to believe the truth of God over the lies of the enemy. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The spirit dwelling in you testifies to the truth of this. Your flesh 
tells you that the thief wants good things for you. That the things you crave with your flesh are, are good things and they'll, they'll fill you up. And, and yeah, you can do a little bit of this Christian thing, but do these other things too because that'll fill you up. That'll give you life. And yet, the Bible is clear that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is his only goal. But Jesus offers you life. And you can only believe that with a new heart, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he renews us. He doesn't just redeem us, then he renews us. And to what end? Why all this struggle then? Why not just why not just the new heart right away? Why not just keep us from sinning right away? Why this struggle? And fully we don't have that understand that understanding. But our questions are foreshadowed by the questions of the Israelites. Why are we wandering around in the desert? You delivered us from captivity. Why don't we just walk into the promised land? And we talked last week about this incredible truth. That God's end is not just to accomplish this thing, to fulfill his story. It is that we would enjoy it for all eternity. Because the day is coming when our renewal will be complete and we will reign with him forever. I've been struck over this last week as sin has just crept up in my heart and... um, I don't know if anybody in here is like me, but um, this, uh, this full-time confession here, I, when I'm sick, I'm a baby. It's just the reality of things. And the people who are giggling are ones who are also married to babies. Okay, I get it. Yes, and lots of head nods. All right, good, you're with me. All right, so, yeah, every family has it. In, in every marriage, there's the baby and the non-baby about being sick. The, the non-baby has to not be a baby because the other baby's being a baby. So you can't both be babies. Like, that just doesn't work. So, in my house, I'm the baby. And when I'm the baby, what do babies do? I'm very self-absorbed. Like, it's about me. Like, I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick. I, I can't be expected to do all these things. I can't be expected to, like, I just, and I don't, like, overtly say all these things, but it's coming up in my heart. Every time, you know, a child asks me for something, and I'm like, don't you see I'm suffering here? No, I cannot get you water. I'm dying inside. Like, it's ridiculous, and it just wells up. It wells up. It wells up. And I was struck this morning. Is that just welling up again? And there's just this moment where I thought, there's going to come a day where you don't react like this. There's going to come a day where you will only find joy in serving people. And more and more that's happening in my life. I'm more that way than I was 15 years ago. But there's coming a day where that stuff that comes up in me that I hate will be gone forever. And because I knew what it was like to experience how that comes up, I will rejoice. 
unendingly. See, Joshua eventually led his people into the promised land, and the land was every bit as beautiful as God had promised and more. When he sent the spies, they, when they came back, their report was, it's amazing. And when he delivered them, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Every promise that you are waiting on, do you know how incredible that is to have that feeling of, I'm not always going to be like this, and that's a promise? It all points to the better promised land. I have heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hear this language. Die to your old self. You are a new creation. We share in the death of Jesus and we share in the resurrection. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's all true. One of the great testimonies and the things that strengthened my faith when I was struggling with doubt and wondering, is this, is this all true? And I started to read the whole Bible and see how often he is telling this story and what he is pointing to and see how often I'd missed the point of some of these stories and not seen what he was actually doing. Like I encourage you, read As you're reading it, think, what does this say about creation or rebellion or redemption or renewal or glory? What is this saying about it? What is this pointing towards? The promised land is not the promised land. It's it's a glimpse of the future promised land. Delivered by the greater Joshua. The one who saves So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It all points to him. 
during this season as you think about this baby in a manger and you are, and we're doing all these other things. I just beg with you and plead with you. Do not be apathetic towards this. Think on these things. And if you think on things that you're like, okay, I've heard that, well then think deeper. Go deeper. It's there, trust me. You'll never ever hit a place where you hit a wall um, that God has created where, where he's just going to say, oh, look, I got nothing else for you. Like you just, you did the, yeah, good job, good work. You got everything turned in. No, there's always more because now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See that contrast there? We only know God in part. He knows us fully. It's all about him. I pray you would see the storyline of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. The storyline that God is our God and we are his people, that he is a covenant-keeping God. The one that we've been waiting for He is here, and angels long to look and see this. All the saints long to be in this moment where we could say, he's here. We now see. It's why Christmas is so important. The incarnation that God became flesh, the moment when God set into motion his plan for our rescue This is the moment. He is here. Let us worship him forever. Let's pray. Father, we we take for granted so often these incredible storylines. We take for granted that we know the gospel because we heard it and we prayed a prayer. God, we have just begun to scratch the surface of the depths of what this means. God, I pray that we would see how this equips us for every good work to understand you, to understand one another, to, to understand the circumstances, to understand what's happening in the world. It gives us a lens to understand all of those things because you are orchestrating all of these things And working all these things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I pray we would see that. I pray we would see how this story equips us to be able to love one another, to be able to give good counsel and to be able to point others to you. I pray we would see us being fluent in this story is what will give us words of hope to offer to our non-believing friends. God, I pray that we would see that being fluent in this story is what we need to be ministered to in our own hearts to bring about true peace, not apathetic peace, but true peace with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us and I pray for those who belong to you that you would make that clear and known by the testimony of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. 
And God, for those who are not, they don't belong to you, God, I pray that you would bring conviction, that they would turn. And some would even have to turn from their religiousness to find you. God, I pray that we all would find you and know you and to find our place in your story. In Jesus' name.